Hi, I'm Joel Shalit, and this is Left to Burn, a podcast brought to you by TheBattleground.eu, Europe's best left read in English. Today we'll be talking to Basilio Corman about the results of the September 25th Italian election and how they didn't turn out as everyone thought they might. Not necessarily in terms of the win of Georgia Maloney, but how the far-right party she heads won. According to Corman, the details are not what they seem. The non-vote in the 2022 election turned out to be the biggest vote of them all. 36% far above the 26% cast for Fratelli d'Italia and 19% for the second most voted for party, the Partito Democratico. Basilio, why isn't that the biggest story about the election and not Maloney's win as a far-right female candidate? The problem of absentee vote is a vote all across the board. It's not just a vote of, oh, those pesky Italian voters voting for the wrong person. So it's much easier to, you know, pass the blame on choosing the wrong candidate. That means always passing the blame to the other people rather than passing the blame to why those 37% of Italians who were, everybody knows they're mostly progressives or disenfranchised left-wing people. Why all these people didn't vote for us? Okay, this is the, the real reason. And uh, most of the press, uh, and, uh, in general, this is my view, all uh, across the spectrum of uh, political journalism is that uh, non-voters, absentee voters, or whatever you may call it, is is a problem of every political force, and no one had found a, a way to get back those people to the ballots. Knowing what voter abstention rates are like in other Western countries, I can't recall a higher abstention rate than this. It's really profound. It signals a complete lack of confidence in the Italian political system and its parties, both on uh, the left and on the right. Obviously, the inclination, I think, for many is to assume that it was just left-wingers who were dissatisfied with the Partito Democratico's continued drift into neoliberalism. I've looked at the data and agree that this is a systemic issue and not simply limited to uh, left parties. Yes, precisely. My take, uh, and uh, to be honest, I I may be completely wrong on this, so please, uh, your audience should forgive me for that. My take is that there is a The main issue uh, for the average voter is the lack uh, in Italy of uh, someone who is not right-wing, who is not openly right-wing, and this is the trick. Uh, The lack of someone who is trying to address uh, uh, what are perceived as the real problems of the Italian economy, of the Italian uh, position into the international uh, landscape, of uh, the energy crisis uh, and whatever, with a simple and uh, understandable language. Uh, Instead, most of the candidates, and Giorgio Meloni, the winner of uh, this uh, electoral competition is definitely an exception on this. Most of the candidates are using either a completely abstract and difficult to understand language, or they're using this kind of high-faluted drama that, for instance, is typical of people like uh, Salvini, 
Well, uh, you know, lo and behold, uh, he was punished uh, on the ballot. Um, we are tired, as Italian, we are tired of drama. So the, any candidate that is proposing uh, himself, or in this case herself, with some political position, uh, and a lot of those positions, and we will discuss this later, are definitely uh, extreme. But level-headed, not uh, promising the apocalypse. But on the on the other hand, uh, using a language that everyone can can understand, and that uh, uh, anybody uh, can relate, uh, anybody at least uh, a large uh, size of the electorate can relate to, uh, it made the trick. Oh, but the problem is that Meloni has uh, a big fascist stigma. And this fascist stigma in Italy is still relevant. So there is people who told, I mean, people, intelligent, uh, uh, cultured people who told me I, uh, I could vote for a leader like Meloni, but I could never vote for a leader which is part of a neo-fascist or post-fascist system. That's fascinating. I, that makes perfect sense to me. It seems endemic throughout Western European politics that there is a prerequisite for left-wing parties or would-be left-wing parties to buy into a, a neoliberal ideological framework. And this has been the case at EU level for a number of years now. The effect is to mold one-time, uh, to help mold social democratic parties uh, in such a way that they cannot help but end up inevitably technocratic and right-wing seeming in terms of their, their pro-market economic policies. And, uh, and that's having a terrible effect across the board in Europe in general. Um, and it seems like uh, when you do have exceptions to these rules, like in the former EU United Kingdom with Jeremy Corbyn's candidacy uh, for the prime ministership, and uh, similarly in uh, countries uh, like Spain, um, in which uh, you know left-wing parties like uh, Podemos have to significantly moderate in order to enter office, that there's no way to present anything other than a homogenous and bureaucratic kind of politics in Europe today. Italian voters are in a unique position to, in some ways, respond against this. And we're seeing this in this election in particular, particularly given the remarkably high voting rates and levels of political participation that used to characterize this country as late as the early 1980s. Yes, yes. Um, I, I think, uh, um, I, my, again, my simplistic, uh, and again, uh, I beg for forgiveness by your, uh, your audience, uh, my simplistic uh, uh, reply to this is that uh, since the 1980s, uh, Europe and the West in general have still not got over the uh, lingering fear that the real enemy is socialism, that socialism is bad, socialism is uh, the anti uh, anti-market, uh, anti-progress, anti-whatever you want. And uh, in the end, uh, whatever right-wing or center caricature of uh, progress we can have is preferable to having um, a socialist, a real socialist uh, turn for the th things. And 
this is uh, of course the generation the, the, the pure anti-communist generation that characterized uh, the international business in uh, in the 80s and early 90s now it is out of the picture because they are too old they have been replaced by seemingly more progressive uh, big uh, business leaders but still you get that these people will always support uh, uh, will always swallow whatever kind of uh, turn to the center or turn to the right you get uh, uh, because they don't want any anything genuinely left-wing to to become popular and i think well we all seen what happened to to corbyn corbyn was you know killed by uh, was an internal coup and this internal coup was a coup of the mother is saying, oh, but we're going to scare the electors. We're going to scare the business away. And in Italy, the situation is a bit different because unlike uh, uh, any other, uh, almost any other um, country in Europe, except, of course, for uh, Germany, Italy was a place where real fascism was implemented. You may find this surprising, but I think that even Spain or Portugal never had the level of fascism we had here, particularly because we, they never had fascism having a, an open and working alliance with, uh, with Adolf Hitler. And we had, it was disastrous. It led us to 1943 and being invaded twice in the same year by different uh, foreign countries. It led to uh, a war where we, we lost uh, hundreds of thousands of, of people. And this memory still lingers. And so for us, uh, there is still this room for an anti-fascist, uh, seriously, really, systemic, uh, like a systemic anti-fascism that is not being addressed. It's just simple as that. Uh, it's addressed just in terms of, oh, don't vote for these people because they are fascist. Don't vote for Meloni, don't vote for uh, Lega, don't vote for that because they are fascist. And to that, a lot of people responded. Even just, I mean, let's remember this. Uh, Meloni won in reality, she won just with 15% of the uh, full electoral vote, if we take in account all the people who didn't go to vote. Okay, it's one uh, Italian uh, voters uh, on every uh, seven or eight, I don't remember the statistic, but you know, uh, it, it, it's not a majority. And the rest of the voters, they don't want a, a, a far-right uh, government in Italy. But most of them are just left hanging, you know, uh, in midair. Uh, we say, okay, you should not vote for Meloni, but we are not going to give you a credible alternative. Except for, guess what, neoliberal center, market, austerity, your um, national health system being cut to, to, to pieces again. Uh, it's not much of an alternative. No, it's not. And obviously, 
the appeal of even a center-right politician with some kind of fascist overlay would help compensate for that. Problem is that there's no horizon to appeal to beyond the emotional response, because if you look at Maloney's economic program, it's not the least bit redistributive and simply advances the problems of the laissez-faire system that's already in place. Absolutely. Absolutely. I agree with you. Moving on, um, on Wednesday, La Stampa, sorry with the headline, more than 50% of voters chose parties with LGBTQ plus rights programs, yet it was the right that won. That makes for especially uncomfortable reading as it underlines the fact that the popular vote was in fact in the non-right party's favor, 48% to 45% approximately. Could you explain yes. the, the so-called Rosatellum law and how that granted the far-right coalition a victory in spite of the popular vote not being in their favor? Oh, well, it's, uh, the Rosatellum was, <laughs> lo and beyond, <laughs> a product of uh, uh, Matteo Renzi and his uh, uh, right-leaning or center-leaning part of the Democratic Party that at some point decided to split uh, from the main Democratic Party because they were saying, oh, Democratic Party is going to left-wing. We want the, the mythical moderate vote that they didn't get because in the end they just went out with a very meager uh, 8% of the election. And the idea was uh, to keep uh, a proportional vote together with uh, an, an, what is called uh, collegi uninominali. Uh, this is the Italian uh, word I say, it's like uh, voting district where just one person will be, one candidate will uh, fight against uh, uh, the, the, the candidates of the other party. And so in each of those districts, each formation, political formation, had to present a candidate, and this candidate will win, uh, you know, grab everything uh, against all the competition. Of course, you had one for the uh, camera, that is the low chamber, uh, in Italy, just uh, trying to translate uh, into uh, a non-Italian uh, political system, and another one for the Senate, okay, that is the, the, the high chamber. And um, this created a situation, for instance, where I, I will make an example that is uh, typical of this. Uh, in the Aosta Valley, that is a, a region in Italy which is happens to have a single voting uh, district and is uh, special because it's a, a region with a, uh, a sort of uh, autonomy, local autonomy, where um, actually the power has always been held by localist forces. But over the years, um, external national parties have made big strides. You know, they have eroded this kind of localist consensus. Um, there was on one side uh, the center-right coalition, or right-wing, whatever you may call it, coalition presenting two women, uh, one of the Lega for the uh, Camera, and another one of Forza Italia for the Senate, while a 
uh, so called, so called uh, uh, Union Progressist, that is a local uh, autonomist uh, force that is we has very good relationship with uh, center left and with the Democratic Party. Presented uh, one person, uh, the same party presented one person for the um, for the Senate and another one for the uh, for the Camera. And then there were all external forces. Uh, the vote, how the vote was, was counted, and because of the Rosatellum, the Lega, the woman running for the Lega, for the Camera, won. The woman running for the Forza Italia, for uh, um, for the Senate, lost. Okay, and lost. Uh, and by the way, uh, the woman running for the Lega uh, won for a miserable 255 votes. So immediately after the election, it became apparent that uh, there was something wrong because it was supposed for all the spectrum of the right wing voters in the Aosta Valley, they should, were supposed to vote for one, the, the right wing candidate for the Senate and the right wing candidate for the, for the camera. They voted for one but not for the other so the, it became a, a personal vote and not a vote for for the coalition for the party it just depended for the personal characteristic of this person this means that uh, now with this system it really depends which kind of candidate you are going to put inside a district in order to get the vote notwithstanding what is the real majority of the people voting for one party or for the other. Because it was obvious before the election, it seemed obvious that the center-right was prominent in uh, the Aosta Valley, but still they did manage to lose the, the Senate. Everybody is unhappy with this. This was a system presented as the best way to manage to keep a, a real proportional system, but at the same time try to avoid uh, splitting too much of the vote. What it created is a situation where the, the vote doesn't reflect uh, the, the, the real proportion of the people uh, voting for one uh, program uh, respect to the other. Given the supervision that the European Union tends to do with member states and evaluating the credibility and efficacy of their democratic systems, what has happened here, both with this law and how it has impacted this election, merits some degree of outside scrutiny because this just seems absolutely ripe for abuse. Clearly, it's not uncommon in Western democracies for votes to get weighted differently in parliamentary voting, but this seems impossibly complex and, and potentially fraught with problems. We are having right now these big issues, now is making headlines today, about uh, the recount, the vote being counted wrong. You know, so people that were supposed was supposed to not be elected, that now we are being told, uh, no, yes, actually it was elected. And remember that uh, the responsible for this is the Ministry of um, La Borghese. She's a very experienced technician. She never, she is not affiliated with any party. 
and actually she was put there because she was supposed to be very competent and she is very competent but still the system overheld uh, the capacity of her uh, bureau to uh, do a, a, a fair and, uh, and clean job and this is very worrying that's it for today's edition of Left to Burn. Check in again on Thursday for part two of our interview with Basilio Corman on the results of the 2022 Italian election.